Okay, so our message out of the book of Ezekiel is from chapters 38 and 39, Gog and Magog. Now before we get into that, Gog and Magog, I wanted to show you this slide and ask if anyone can identify what this is. Anyone know what this is? Numbers, yes, it's correct, it's numbers. Green and white numbers, right. Okay, so why is one, two, three, little two, four, five, six, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, twenty, little three, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-eight, thirty-three, little two, thirty-four, little two, thirty-six, thirty-seven, little two, thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty, forty-one, forty-two, forty-three, forty-four, forty-five, forty-six, forty-seven, forty-eight in green, and the others in white. Why is that? Very good. All right, Jim got it. These are the chapters of Ezekiel. There are 48 chapters in the book of Ezekiel. Okay, so that's a little bit closer. Why are some green and why some white? A little special. Some of this is a little more special than others. The green ones are chapters that we have studied here together over the last several weeks. Yes, and the little numbers are sermons we had two or three sermons out of sometimes out of a chapter and so almost a total of about 40 sermons out of the book of ezekiel alone and so this will be our last sermon out of the book of ezekiel unless uh, anyone wants to preach out any of them, the white ones feel free to study the white ones if you can come up with a, a godly message for us today that'd be practical and helpful for us and and exalt the lord and lead us closer to yeshua feel free to let me know and uh, we'll discuss that um, otherwise, plan on moving on to, to another chapter. So, that is the chapters in Ezekiel. So, we're looking at 38 and 39 tonight. Again, Gog and Magog. So, let's read what it has to say regarding this, starting verse 1 in chapter 38. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Oh, and if you missed any of those green sermons and you want to see them, go to shalomadventure.com and you can see them there and watch them there. Some of them may already, most of them are already in the archives, but just go to the search part and type in Ezekiel, whatever chapter you want, and then it'll bring it up for you. Okay, Ezekiel 38, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Mishach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Mishach, Meshach, and Tubal. Yes, that's the beginning on it. So it doesn't sound so great for Gog and Magog. God is against you, O Gog and Magog. Now, so far, so uh, who is this Gog and Magog, right? Well, who are these, right? So here's some parade that was parading a Gog and Magog. So who is this Gog and Magog? So far, uh, we have not found archaeologically or historically any nation in particular under those names or any of the ones mentioned there. No name of any leader or anything that fits that. Maybe they just haven't dug it up. Maybe they just haven't found it yet. But to this date, nothing has, has surfaced yet. So that ends up making for lots of speculation about who Gog and Magog are. So one speculation is that uh, Gog is Russia, right? So you see that in this picture that someone put together, took this map and colored it very nicely and put Gog as Russia, Magog as most of Europe 
and then scattered some of these other ones around, okay? Then there's another version, another group, another person who came up with another version, and they, they, they use different colors for their map, and they also have Russia as Gog, Rosh, and, but they have Magog over on the side there, uh, Kazakhstan, uh, and so they just mixed up their colors a little bit, moved things around a little bit, and so some little different variations of that. Now, I did some research really hard, and I found where Gog and Magog actually are. And I'm gonna show you here in this next slide. You ready for it? It's a golf course in England. The Gog Magog Golf Club. It was established in 1901. You can actually go there on their 400 acres of manicured courses and play golf there. And that's where Gog and Magog reside today. Now, why would anyone name a golf course Gog and Magog when God says, I am against you, O Gog and Magog? I have no idea. But nonetheless, they did, and that's an actual play. That's a real play, so for whatever reason. But, so now back to the Bible text of what God, where God says Gog and Magog is, okay? So we looked at Ezekiel a little bit already. We're going to look more, but now let's jump to Revelation where Gog and Magog are mentioned again. Revelation chapter 20, verse 5. The wicked dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Verse 7, when the thousand years expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, numbered as the sand of the sea. Okay, so let's look at this a little closer here. Okay, so the wicked dead did not live again until the thousand years are finished, okay? So the dead are dead until the wicked dead, until the thousand years are finished. Right, so it's talking about this time period here in context, after the thousand years. Now for a more detailed uh, discussion of what actually happens in the thousand years, at jewishheritage.net we have available where you can get a series of DVDs on last day events, Daniel and Revelation, full complete set called Surviving and Thriving in These Last Days, and it goes into detail regarding all the events prior to the thousand years, during the thousand years, after the thousand years. We don't have time to get into all of it right here tonight, but the point is Gog and Magog do not come on the scene until after, very clearly here, right? So the dead, the wicked dead, did not live again until the thousand years are finished. So it's talking here in context about the wicked dead. When the verse 7, when the thousand years are expired, Satan will be released from his prison and deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. So these nations that are from the four corners of the earth, all the earth, that are raised after the thousand years, the wicked down through the ages that are raised at the end of the thousand years, the Bible clearly delineates as Gog and Magog. So that's who Gog and Magog are. The wicked, down through the ages, who are raised at the end of the thousand years. Now, I don't know about you, but I personally don't think Russia is going to make it for another thousand years and more. I hope not. <laughs> I hope this planet doesn't make it for another thousand years and more. So I don't think Russia or Europe or any other of these nations on those maps and however you want to call it, 
is what's Gog and Magog, that we have to be fearing Russia or Europe or any of these things as a fulfillment of this Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38, because Revelation parallels it, and we're going to see that parallel more clearly as we continue on. But that parallel is that Gog and Magog do not come on the scene until more than a thousand years from now. And they represent all the wicked from down through the ages that are raised at the end of that thousand years. And they'll be numbered as the sand of the sea. Not delineated simply to Russia or any other simple area. So let's continue on. In verse 9, still in Revelation 20. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. What is the beloved city? The new Jerusalem. Correct. The new Jerusalem that comes down from God out of heaven. At the end of the thousand years, the wicked are raised and they go up on that camp to attack the saints and to take the city. And then fire comes down from God out of heaven and devours them. Where's the fire come from? By who? By God, right. Out of heaven, by God. God brings this fire, kind of like a Sodom and Gomorrah type experience all over again, and he brings fire down upon them and devours them. Okay? So that's Revelation, in a nutshell, on Gog and Magog. Let's go back to Ezekiel 38 and learn some more important lessons for us regarding it. Okay, for th Ezekiel 38, verse 8. After many days, right, and many days, like a thousand years of many days, after many days you will be visited, in the latter years you will come into the land who's brought back from the sword and gathered from many peoples on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely. Okay, so it says after the end, after many days, you're going to come against those who were once under the sword, right? And at the time Ezekiel's writing, Jerusalem and Israel and Judah were basically desolate. They were taken to Babylon. And so he's writing at that time. So he's talking about these people who are scattered, who were brought back. And they're brought back and on the mountains of Israel. And they're brought back from the nations and dwelling safely. Right? So the thousand years, the end of the thousand years, they're dwelling safely. The wicked dead are raised and attack the city. Verse 9. Still Ezekiel 38. You will ascend, coming like the storm, covering the land like a cloud. You and all your troops and many people with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that the thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. Right? So they're arising, covering the land, as it said in Revelation, like the sands of the sea. So here it says like a storm, covering the land like a cloud. Many people with you, right? So very similar terminology, very similar parallels here. And it has an evil plan, and we saw in Revelation, the evil plan is to come up against the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Verse 14, Son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, you will come from your place out of the far north. You and many people with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company, and a, many, and, a, and a mighty army. Those two words there, far north. And that's where the people go, oh, far north, let's get a map out. Oh, far north, oh, that's Russia. <laughs> and that's how they come up with their 
very studied, very detailed theological interpretation that Gog and Magog is, or Gog is Russia. By those two words. Ignoring all the rest it says in the Bible, ignoring that it's at the end of a thousand years, at the end of at the latter days, ignoring all that, they look at two simple words and go, oh, I know where it is, I'm a Bible scholar. And they say, it's Russia. Anyway, so let's continue on. <clears throat> Verse 18. When God comes against the land of Israel, my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, I have spoken. In, the day that, in that day, there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The mountains shall be thrown down. The steep places shall fall. And every wall will fall to the ground. Okay? It says, my fury shows on my face. Who's this talking about? God, right? So just like in Revelation, the fire comes down from God. Here God's saying, my jealousy, my fury, and my face, and my wrath, and the fire of my wrath. So again, parallel fire, God's wrath coming down upon God. It's God who steps in to deliver his people. Verse 22, I will rain on him, his troops, and on the many people who are with him, flooding rain, great hail, fire, and brimstone, right? So who's doing the rain? God. I will rain on him, right? God reigns on him. Again, parallels Revelation. Can't come up with interpretation by two words and ignore Revelation and ignore the rest of the verses. He rains fire down on him and God destroys Gog and Magog. Verse 23, thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord. All right, so down through the ages, God has been allowing this process to continue, to exalt himself, to sanctify himself, and to let it be known that he is the Lord. That he is over all, that he is more mighty than them all. More mighty than the Pharaohs, more mighty than the Hamans, more mighty than the Hitlers, more mighty than the Gogs and Magogs. He is the Lord. Now into chapter 39, Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 4. You will fall on the mountains of Israel. I will give you to the birds of prey and to the beasts to be devoured. Well, Revelation 19, verse 21, right there in that same context where it's talking about Gog and Magog in Revelation the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeds from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, that him is God, and the birds were filled with their flesh. There's two feasts in Revelation. There's the, the feast, the, the supper of the lamb, the great supper of the lamb that he invites his saints to, that he invites his children to, and there is the feast of the birds. And the birds will eat the wicked. And you don't want to be in that feast, right? You don't want to participate in that one, right? So here in Ezekiel, it says that the birds of the prey and the beast will devour the wicked, Gog and Magog, that are destroyed by God. And in Revelation, it says the same thing. And the two parallel each other. Chapter Ezekiel 39, verse 6. I will rain fire on Magog and on the, those who live in security in the coastlands they shall know that I am the Lord. Revelation 20, verse 9, that we read already, fire came down from God out of heaven 
and devoured them, right? So a couple times in Ezekiel 38 and 39, saying they're destroyed by fire, just like it says in Revelation. Ezekiel 39, verse 7. I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Wickedness will not rise up its head again. Wicked will be destroyed. The wicked will be destroyed permanently, once and for all. The wicked down from the ages are raised again at that end of a thousand years for their, to face their final judgment at the Yom Kippur, the ultimate Yom Kippur, the ultimate judgment day. And they're brought forth and they are destroyed and wickedness is destroyed forever. God's holy name will be known in the midst and he will not let them profane his holy name ever again. The earth will be cleansed of the wicked. Verse 9, those, and that gets interesting here, those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. Now that's a long fire. That's a long time of burning shields. I don't know, shields, metal shields. He's going to burn metal. They're going to burn metal shields. For seven years, now I can understand burning uh, some bows and some javelins and some spears, but I don't know how they can burn for seven years. So it seems obvious this is symbolic. This seven years here. Seven in the Bible, representing a total, complete, right? God created the earth in seven days. He finished it, he completed it, and it was all good. It was all very good. With the rest and all, everything completed seven years, right? So complete. In other words, he's saying, no more weapons of war. He's going to destroy all weapons once and for all. There will be no more javelins. There'll be no more shields. There'll be no more spears. There'll be no more swords. Swords will be turned into plowshares. Uh, there'll be no more bombs. There'll be no more F-15s. There'll be no more AR-15s. There'll be no more weapons of war. It'll all be burned completely. It'll all be destroyed completely. There'll be no more need of them, whether for attack or for defense. They'll be totally wiped out. And that's good news. No more war. Verse 10. They will, not they will not take wood from the field nor cut down any from the forest because they will make fires with the weapons. And they will plunder those who plunder them and pillage those who pillage them, says the Lord God. So again, this fire is so complete, they don't need to add, to add any kindling to it to keep it burning. It's just going to burn it till it's all gone. Again, I don't think that's literal, but the fire, God's fire is so complete, it destroys the wicked destroys any remnant of it, of anything on this earth. All the wickedness on this earth is destroyed. Verse 11. And it will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Okay, so there's Gog. Magog, who number the sand of the sea, who four corners of the earth, they're all going to get buried in Israel. 
As if there's enough land in Israel. I guess they'll make good fertilizer, right? So they're all going to get buried in Israel. And it's going to take seven months to bury them. <laughs> yeah, put them all in the Dead Sea. That's right, fill up the Dead Sea with it, right? Again, I think there's a symbolism here. The God, in other words, he's going to destroy them, and he's going to destroy them completely, and they're going to be buried and buried once and for all, never more to raise again, no more resurrection of the wicked after this. They receive their second resurrection, their second life. They're destroyed in that, and their second chance. They receive the second death, and that's it. And they're gone, destroyed. The wicked are annihilated completely to cleanse the land. The entire land will be cleansed of all remnants of wickedness and sin and hatred and adversity and violence be destroyed once and for all. Verse 14, at the end of seven months, they will set apart regular employed men with the help of a search party to search the land and bury remaining bodies in order to cleanse it. When they see a bone, they put a marker by it till the Barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamon Gog. Right, so, the, so if you need employment at that time, then you can apply for a job there. Right, we're going to employ regularly employed men, and they're going to go search the land after seven months. We've buried everybody, but let's go make sure. Let's go see if any bone popped up here or there. They're going to search the land looking for any remnant of any dead wicked. And if there is, you're going to flag it, and we're going to make sure there's, again, no sign no vestige anywhere in the universe of the wicked. That's what it's saying. That's what the symbolism there is. Again, so make sure complete, 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 complete end. Whatever it takes. A double party, a search party, you're going to destroy them with fire, burn all their weapons, bury them all, and then search to make sure they're all buried. Buried, buried. Every last bone, every last tooth, everything gone. Out of the sight of man, an angel, and God for all eternity. Wickedness will not rise its head again. Be gone, complete gone, destroyed, removed, and thus will dwell safely and be at peace forever. Verse 22, so the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And we don't have to wait till that day to know that he is the Lord God. He's the Lord God today. We can see him in our lives today. We can see him in his actions in the past. We can know for sure tonight. You don't have to leave here without knowing that he is the Lord. You can accept him as your Lord. Crown him as Lord and King over your life. Because the only way to get to the Lamb's Supper is by having him as Lord. Because we're all wicked and we can all be on the wicked side. We can all be part of that wickedness that see that city with jealousy and envy and want it and go up on the land with all the wicked down through the ages and try and take it and be destroyed in the fire and eaten by birds and buried till we're buried no more or we can be on the lamb's side and live forever and dwell safely in peace we can have that safety we can have that peace now in our hearts by making him the lord of our lives
So whatever is trying to rule in your mind in art, any jealousy, any envy, any covetousness, any kingly throne taking over your heart, any desire greater than God, any idol in your life, anything you put before God, anything more important to you than God, maybe life itself, life on this earth, your health, your strength, your finances, lay it all before the Lord and let him be Lord over it all. Let him guide and direct, let him control it, let him make the decisions, let him be Lord. Let him be sovereign. Let him make the decisions for us. And we follow his will and be obedient to him, surrendering all to him. Not my will be done, but your will be done. If the Messiah needed to pray that, how much more we? And so we come to the Messiah, we surrender all, we surrender our wickedness, we surrender our selfishness, we surrender our, our anger and bitterness and wrath, hostility, frustrations, give it over to the Lord. Receive his cleansing, receive his forgiveness, and accept his power in our lives. Verse 23, the Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore I hid my face from them, I gave them into the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. So God allowed us to go into Babylon to be a, a witness to the nations, a witness to the Gentiles, that God is just, that God doesn't play favorites, that God is fair. And if even his people who are called by his name and who have surrendered their lives to him turn from their righteousness, and serve other gods, God will judge. God judges equally, God judges fairly, he's no respecter of persons. And he held Israel accountable, he held Judah accountable as a witness to the Gentiles. No one gets away with wickedness. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Lucifer, a covering cherub, kicked out of heaven. It's a witness to all of us. So God has allowed suffering and sin from Cain on down through the ages to be a witness to us so that we can know the difference between good and evil. God presented to Adam and Eve two trees, the, knowledge, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we decide, well, let's find out what this good and evil is about. Well, now we know what it's all about. And God has allowed it to play out in our lives so we can truly see the face of evil and hopefully abhor it and turn from it and run to the Lord for protection and strength and help. And so he's made an example. And so he's allowed sin to continue in this world for this close to 6,000 years to be an example to awaken Israel and the nations. All, because he's calling the Gentiles all to come one together. To be a witness to Israel, to be a witness to the Gentiles. So that we can become one in serving him. So he allows us. 
we can live righteous lives to be a witness, or we can receive the chastisement of the Lord to be a witness. One way or the other, the choice is ours. But God will be just and God will be consistent in all things. Verse 25, the Lord God says, I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness and in which they were unfaithful to me. And when they dwelt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid. If you're dealing with any shame in your life, maybe there's some sin in your life, maybe some unfaithfulness to the Lord, maybe some wrong choices that you've made in turning from God, in rejecting him, in choosing sin or choosing self over God. Before we even continue on, just surrender that to the Lord and receive his cleansing from shame. Let him remove the shame, the guilt from the wrong choices that we've made. Let us make him, allow him to be, make us faithful unto him so that we can dwell safely in the land and no one make us afraid. If you're dealing with fear, if there's any fear in your life, some area in your life that you're afraid of something, maybe you're afraid of the judgment, maybe you're afraid of God, maybe you're afraid of the last days, maybe you're afraid of your boss, maybe you're afraid of some person, Maybe you're afraid of some Gog or Magog in your life. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your ex. Maybe it's your current. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's the person you see when you look in the mirror. Whatever makes you afraid. Maybe you're fearful of your future, your finances, your health. Worries, cares, anxieties. We don't have to wait till then to dwell safely and without fear. We can dwell safely today without fear. That doesn't mean problems won't come. That don't mean, it doesn't mean there won't be martyrs down. It doesn't mean that there won't be Abels who get killed by kings. It doesn't mean there won't be suffering in your life. But regardless, we can be faithful and not be afraid. We can be like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Nebuchadnezzar, you can throw us into the fire furnace. We don't care. Our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we don't care. We're not going to be afraid. You can throw us in. And he won't, even if he lets us burn, we're not going to bow down to your idol. Whether we live or die, it doesn't matter. We're going to serve the Lord. Because this earth is not what it's about. So we don't have to fear anything. We don't even have to fear death here in this earth. If our hearts are right with God, we're surrendered to him. His hand is over us. He knows our name. He records it in his book. And we won't be resurrected with the wicked at the end of the thousand years. We'll be resurrected with the righteous down through the ages and placed into God's holy mountain, placed into God's holy city, placed in God's beloved city, where we'll dwell safely and protected 
without any fear forevermore. And no reason to fear. Because all the weapons will be destroyed. Verse 29, I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. I'll not hide my face anymore from them. We'll see him face to face face to face in all of his glory. Not shadowed, not dimly, not veiled anymore. But we'll see him face to face. God's spirit will be poured out upon us. We'll be filled with his spirit, filled with his character, filled with his love. We don't have to wait till then. We don't have to wait another thousand years or more. We can experience that now, here, today. We don't have to leave here tonight without his spirit. We can receive of his spirit. Let God's spirit come into your heart and mind. Again, first, all the fears and anxieties and sins and weapons of war need to be surrendered. All the shame, all the unfaithfulness, surrendered, cleansed through the blood of the Lamb, washed clean through his sacrifice. And then we can be filled with his spirit and drawn close to him and see his face. Look into his eyes. Hear him call your name and be drawn to him. See his smile. See his affection. See his approval. And hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom of God. We can experience that now. We can have God's spirit. It will give us victory over sin. It will put the fruits of the spirit into us. A love, joy, peace, meekness, goodness, kindness, self-control. Victory over temptation. Deliverance from all sin. Receive of his spirit. Let him breathe his breath. Let him breathe his ruach into us. And fill us and transform us into his image. And so, as we prepare for prayer, if there's any areas in this life, in this, tonight, in your life, you want to surrender to God. God's been speaking to your heart and mind. Maybe you've been fearing some Gog or Magog in your life. Maybe you've been fearing some nations. Maybe you've been fearing some wars. Maybe you've been fearing some companies. Maybe you've been fearing the stock market. Maybe you've been fearing your retirement. Or maybe something closer to home. You could surrender it to the Lord. God's going to destroy them all. Once and for all. We don't have to fear any of them. Whether we live Continue to live longer here on this earth or not. doesn't matter. Whether we're here, we serve. And to live is gain. And to die is fine too. And so if you're afraid of anything, surrender that to the Lord in the moment when we pray. Secondly, if there's any sin in your life, any unfaithfulness, anything that needs to be cleansed out, God's bringing anything to your mind, Anything on your record, from the past or the present, 
We'll have an opportunity in just a moment just to surrender that right where you're at. Just give that over to God. Let him cleanse you. Let him remove it. Let him burn it up. Destroy it. Bury it away. Make all things new in your life. Thirdly, if you're needing his spirit, needing the unction of his power, needing the indwelling of God living in you, and empowering you, and transforming you and changing you. And again, in a moment when we pray, open your heart to God and say, Lord, fill me. Fill me. Overflow me with your spirit. May it flow out of me. May your spirit flow to others. Your love and your compassion and your character be seen through me in others. So if any of these areas or maybe some other area applying in your life, let's surrender to the Lord and receive of him. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful for your great patience, long-suffering, and mercy. Thankful that you've put up with the gogs and magogs of this world, the enemy of you and the enemy of your people. Thank you for sustaining us. Thank you for bringing us to this day. Thank you for keeping a remnant alive down through the ages. And may your word and your glory be seen in the earth. Use us, shine through us. Remove out of us everything, remove every weapon of war. Remove every anger, every bitterness, every wrath, all shame all in faithfulness, remove it, blot it out, and destroy it once and for all. And come and abide in us, live in us through your spirit. And may we dwell safely in you, in your hands, at peace, at rest, unafraid. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.